My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Fossil fuel burning power stations using coal, oil and gas add carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, which in turn contributes to global warming, leading to rising sea temperatures. On the other hand, nuclear power stations abstract huge volumes of water which absorbs heat from the reactors before being released back into the environment. Even the so-called greener alternatives such as wave and wind power are not without their problems by virtue of the way they deliver the power they generate back to land. At the moment I'm sat in a caravan at Martin near Blackpool with IFCA member and ex-scientist Brian Crawford who over the years has made a detailed study of just this problem. So in angling terms, explain to us the problems with each. There's many, many problems with fossil fuels. As a retired teacher of physics to A-level and teacher chemistry to A-level, I've taught about the issues regarding fossil fuel generation of power and nuclear energy and alternative energy generation. And also, as an angler, I've always been concerned about the effects that these might have on fishing. With fossil fuels, the main problem has always been the generation of carbon dioxide, which... When it rains, it causes a weak acid rain, which can affect the pH of rivers, lakes and waters like that, which can affect the flora and fauna that develop in rivers and lakes. And in some of the highland-type waterways, can lead to complete death of all flora and fauna. Recently, there's been this problem about what we call global warming, as the greenhouse effect. The oceans are getting warmer, the ice caps are melting, the sea levels might be rising. But particularly with regard to migratory fish, such as eels, which spawn in the Sargasso Sea and are carried across to Europe by the Gulf Stream, global warming and the influx of uh, melting ice caps means that some of these ocean currents, like the Gulf Stream, do change direction more than they used to do many years ago, although they might go in 10,000 year cycles or something. But we've had lots of problems with the eel lava in particular reaching the shores of Europe because of the way the Gulf Stream's been changing. And uh, for the last 20 years or so, 20, 30 years, the populations of, of eel lava and elvers reaching our shores decreased by a factor of 80-90% which has been quite devastating to eel populations and the fact that this may also affect salmon and sea trout whose populations also seem to be getting affected may have an influence on that as well because salmon and sea trout tend to go back to the rivers and streams where they were born or spawned but eels seem just to go anywhere they want wherever the Gulf Stream takes them so they don't seem too bothered as long as they get into fresh water or brackish water. Also, because of the melting of the ice caps, the sea salinity is changing because seawater is more dense than fresh water and the fresh water floats on top of the seawater. You get this layering effect, which will also affect the temperature, potentially affecting the currents. Big inland waters like the Baltic are having lots and lots of fresh water poured into them so the Baltic is gradually becoming less saline. Um, as the sea temperatures are slowly rising, it's affecting the distribution of sea fish. More cold water species are leaving the English Channel and the southern areas of the UK are moving further north. 
we're seeing species off the coast of Cumbria we never used to see before and it can also affect spawning because obviously different fish species require different circumstances to spawn on. I know fish species or most animal species will evolve or die and they have to change their environment in this and it's going to affect the distribution of uh, small fish, fry particularly. It's affecting the ages at which uh, fish will mature, again due to economic commercial fishery pressures who want to take fish before they're matured, it can affect this as well. But particularly with uh, fossil fuels, coal, oil and gas, it is an effect that has got a limited future because uh, in the next 50, 40 years or so, the world supply of fossil fuels is going to substantially diminish and so less and less reliance will be placed on coal, oil and gas. So more and more countries are considering changing to nuclear energy, which brings its own various issues. At the moment, we are running down our nuclear industry, although we are planning new nuclear power stations. A few years ago, we had 20, 30 nuclear power stations, and in 10, 15 years' time, we may only have one nuclear power station. The present generation of nuclear power stations are only in the region of about half a gigawatt output, which is still quite large, a bit larger than the average coal, oil or gas-fired power station. Whereas oil, gas and coal power stations have a lifetime of generating for about 30 years. The present range of nuclear power stations we've had have not been much better. Their life was about 30 to 40 years maximum and uh, they all now being decommissioned in the various parts of the country. New nuclear power stations are being planned. At the moment there's only about six or seven being planned, which is hoped to be able to generate enough electricity to satisfy up to maybe 50-60% of the UK's requirements. However, these nuclear power stations will be comprising nuclear reactors which are more than twice as powerful in generation terms as the past ones have, where they are going to be generating a minimum of 1 to 1.3 megawatts of electricity, and they'll be commissioned for about 60 years, with a life cycle from initiation to final termination of about 100 years on a particular site. So the sites that are selected have got to be near the sea because they're going to require massive amounts of water as coolers unless each nuclear reactor has about four five or six big cooling towers. The one that's forecast at the moment in Cumbria at Moorside near Sellafield is predicted to have three reactors of about 1.3 gigawatts giving almost four gigawatts altogether and each reactor has to be near the sea it has to be on a site that's going to be sustainable for a minimum of 100 years so it's got to be built on a, a big platform if it's near the coast to make sure rising sea levels or water surges won't damage it and the amount of seawater each reactor will require approximately 120 cubic meters of seawater per second 24 7 for about 60 years, which is a massive amount of water intake for each reactor. That's nearly 400 cubic meters of water per second to cool the reactors. This water is chemically treated because seawater is very corrosive 
so it has to be neutralised by adding various chemicals which will then be pumped out with this water back into the sea so the intake and discharge of the seawater is an obvious cause of concern. It's also going to be heated up in the reactors because its main job is going to cool the reactors therefore this seawater has got to absorb the heat from the reactors is then pumped back out into the sea at the same rate of about 400-500 cubic metres per second for 60 years. And the problem mainly is that uh, the area where the water is going to be abstracted from off the Cumbrian coast is like a huge bay where with tides the water moves in one direction for six hours and the tide turns and brings it back again over a period of six hours and it operates this cycle twice a day. So the water that's been abstracted and, and returned back into the coastal waters will gradually, over 60 years, become warmer and a different chemical composition. No research has been done on this effect anywhere in the world. The main problem, obviously, is if the water off the Cumbrian coast gets warmer and chemically changed, it's got to change the flora and fauna that are present and uh, the Cumbrian coast has had coastal surveys carried out now for the past 20 years. So what is there at the present time is well documented and this research should carry on, especially if a new nuclear power station is built and brought into operation by 2023 to find out the effect of any of this warming of the coastal seawater and its chemical changes to see how it will affect quite a few of these protected areas. Because off the Cumbrian coast we do have these um, conservation zones now, marine conservation zones, and we have certain marine protected areas. There's lots of European designations off the coast for special protected areas, bird protected areas, Ramsar sites, Natterjack toad breeding areas. All of these could be affected by warmer water and different chemically constituted water. So there are some quite serious concerns which have not been addressed They've not even been mentioned by anybody in looking at uh, what this nuclear power station can bring. I mean, the, the obvious thing is we do need nuclear power, especially once the fossil fuels have gone. We're going to need a lot of nuclear energy to replace it, but there will be a cost environmentally, and therefore there needs to be a very robust environmental impact assessment made of the potential damage to the coastal water of Cumbria and also obviously on the, all the other proposed nuclear power station sites particularly in the Severn Estuary, if it's in the Severn Estuary it's a different area biologically and environmentally the River Severn has a 30 foot rise and fall of its tide on average twice a day and the water that's going to be warmed up there from the discharge of the nuclear power station is going to be carried out down the estuary with a falling tide but then brought back up again on the next tide. So the overall estuary of the River Severn between Wales and uh, North Devon will substantially change as well over a period of 60 years. It will become much warmer, it will become different chemically constituted and therefore it will have a dramatic impact on the environment of the Severn estuary. The other ones that are forecast off the coast of Essex could have similar potential there. And we're talking about Although these nuclear power stations may create 300 jobs, they also are going to have the potential to cost thousands of jobs in the commercial fishing industry, as well as causing massive changes to the populations of flora and fauna that are already present. And nobody can predict how these will change. 
it's almost certain that the present populations of marine life will die off and may be replaced by something else or potentially nothing, no form of life whatsoever. So there is the potential from nuclear energy to have coastal deserts off our shores. So based on the country's experience so far with nuclear energy, in angling terms, what are the positive and negative effects that we all should now be aware of? The present coastal power stations, such as the one at Haysham, for example, and uh, the one at Wyfer on the Isle of Anglesey, these have benefits in that the warm water discharge they produce do increase the populations of, of fish almost that's like a nursery. The same effect has happened on the River Trent, the River Severn, various other rivers where coal-fired power stations have been operating for many years. The waters of the River Trent have increased in temperature and fish like carp have really thrived and got bigger and bigger and barbel and uh, chub. Lots of other fish species are overwintering much better because of the warm water discharge all year round keeps these river temperatures higher than what would normally be expected. The downside of these are that fish, particularly small fish and fish eggs, um, small crustaceans are sucked into the intakes and this will happen even more with the coastal ones where each reactor requires 120 cubic metres of water per second and will suck in anything that gets within a certain radius of the intake. They may have grills to try and stop this but these grills will soon get blocked up by seaweed and other things which are sucked in under tremendous pressure. The power station at Haysham is constantly clearing tons of dead fish and crustaceans from its intakes. It sucks in shrimps, crabs, as well as fish of all sizes. And these are taken away in skips every week to be deposited into landfill sites. It's like having a giant hoover there. At one point where the discharge water is, it's warming up the water, so it's attracting fish. Fish do get sucked into the power stations where they're churned up and passed out again with the discharge and this mashed up warm fish acts like an attractant to even more fish so it becomes almost a cyclic event creating a fishery but also destroying the fishery until eventually obviously there'll be no more fish left in that area and uh, the present power stations only need about 30 cubic meters of water per second but are still devastating the fish life near their intakes and the outfalls whereas the new nuclear ones will have a far more devastating effect. You and I both attended a presentation given by National Grid regarding the new nuclear power station proposed for Cumbria where they said they wanted to tunnel under Morecambe Bay to route the power cables into the grid system. Not only that, but the tunnel would also have an access manhole on the surrounding island reef midpoint and that the power would be converted from alternating current or AC to direct current to DC then back again once it reached the shore. Now that is a lot of proposed expenditure. It begs the question then, that if National Grid are willing to convert AC to DC, in light of the harmful effects of certain fish species, and in particular cartilaginous fish from electromagnetic fields created by AC, why are offshore wind farms not being asked to do the same? The thing about the transfer of electricity via cables is, the longer the distance, the more you lose due to heat energy. AC current generates the heat because it's changing direction 50 times a second, 50 hertz. Whereas if you want to transport it a long way by cable, especially under the sea, 
you have to convert it to DC which loses far far less of its energy and obviously far less is converted to heat so you would need a converter and when they were looking at this for the linking the Moorside power station with Haitian with offshore cables because of the distance they couldn't use AC cables they would have to use DC cables and they always work in terms of having a dual circuit two separate circuits and therefore they would need two converters at Moorside to convert the AC to DC and wherever the, these cables were brought ashore near Blackpool or Fleetwood they would need two more converters to convert the DC back to AC. Each of these converters cost £200 million but they don't exist at the present time. They would cost £200 million at current day prices but by the time they would be available or required it would cost far more and this is a technology that's not been done anywhere in the world yet apart from at lower levels because we're talking about a requirement for transferring up to 400 kilovolts of electricity at a time. The present system in Cumbria on the west coast is 132 kilovolts and obviously with the new nuclear power station this has got to be superseded by a 400 kilovolt system. So if they've taken this out to sea it would cost a billion pound just to get the converters and then potentially another one to two billion pound for the cost of laying the cables. Every time they met another cable from say a wind farm it costs six million pound per cable to, to bridge it and there was actually four cables because they work in pairs and the parallel circuits so it would cost 24 million pound every time they came to cross another cable or gas pipe or telephone line anything that had to be crossed would add to the cost so in the end they realised it's going to be very expensive then there is the issue with Vesmeals, which is the firing range on the Cumbrian coast which has been firing out shells up to 25 miles for over 100 years. So there's quite a big reef of shells and unexploded armaments there and the ministry would not give them permission to go anywhere near it. They've had to go around it almost to the Isle of Man which would again increase the cost. So in the end they've decided to park the idea of running an offshore cable. So now they're looking at replacing the onshore 132 system with a new 400 volt system from Moorside down to Barrow. And at Barrow, they're considering building a 4 metre diameter tunnel under Morecambe Bay from uh, Rampside at Barrow across to Haitian. Because of the distance and cooling effects, because again, these will be carrying AC, won't be carrying DC, these tunnels will get very hot, so they have to have a very efficient ventilation system with cooling fans, and they decided they're going to need to build a 30 metre diameter island in the middle of Morecambe Bay, but in an area that never dries out, so the base will always be underwater, so that people can't walk out there and climb on it or anything like that and it would be steep-sided so that boats can't move up to it and then like that but there would be obviously a helicopter landing pad on top this would be a ventilation shaft and an access for workmen or emergency exit for workmen who are in the tunnel all the time so there will be four cables in two pairs carrying the electricity from Rampside down to Haitian and uh, over the years this will probably become quite weathered and just become an actual feature of Morecambe Bay without being too intrusive with beneficial fish attracting properties, if we're allowed to fish near it. The base of it will become almost like a, a reef system which will attract mollusk crustaceans and all the life and therefore the base of this 30 metre diameter tower will become uh, a fish refuge as well because obviously commercial interests will not be able to fish near it even though it's going to be in reasonably shallow water at low tide it will be in water all the time 
and so it should eventually be of benefit to marine life. It's going to be very similar to the wind turbines. At first wind turbines uh, were thought to be potentially detrimental to fish life because of the vibration flashing effects of the water blades turning, sending vibrations down to the seabed. But the various firms that have been involved in building the wind farms carried out substantial research before the first wind farm by trawling to establish the population of fish in the areas where these wind farms were being built. And each year since, further trawling and various drift net fishing has been carried out to sample the fish life and to investigate what goes on below the water surface. And they found out that fish populations are actually starting to increase. The base of the wind turbines are becoming crusted in, in uh, crustaceans, barnacles, mussels and, and uh, things like that and seaweed which attracts small fish so the base of each wind turbine is becoming a mini nursery which can only be a benefit because there are non-fishing areas there's no go areas there for commercial fishermen commercial fishermen aren't very happy because vast areas of their fishing ground is now a no-go area as well as having these marine conservation zones so they're not getting too happy altogether so they tend to concentrate more on the cockles and mussels on established beds where they've got access to them what about access to anglers? Anglers uh, also cannot go anywhere near the wind turbines. They can go upstream or downstream or wherever from them, but they can't fish amongst them for obvious safety reasons, which might be a good thing in lots of ways, because these nursery areas, the small fish there will gradually get bigger and bigger and then move off in search of more food. So it's six of one after the other, really, regarding recreation angling. There's going to be more fish available in the long term, but there'll be more areas where they aren't going to be able to fish. New areas will develop, but with all the other impacts on this particular area off the coast of Cumbria, with potential warming of the water, changing of the chemical constitution, it's debatable. The only main downside, obviously, is these wind turbines have only got a life of 20, 25 years, at the end of which they've got to be completely demolished, withdrawn, dismantled, down to below the surface of the seabed. So all these sanctuaries will eventually disappear. Whether they build new wind farms to replace them, I don't know. Because they're costing billions of pounds to put up, mainly of public money. They'll cost billions of pounds of public money to dismantle. And then uh, where do we go from there, whether we replace them or not? So there are advantages and there are many disadvantages regarding wind turbines. There are problems occurring with the cables that run from the wind turbines. Each wind turbine is connected to a central unit which takes a number of wind turbines and combines it into one cable that comes ashore at Haysham. Originally these were buried a metre below the seabed but scarring has, has really re sort of revealed these cables above the seabed level and uh, the companies have now had to put in hundreds and hundreds of tonnes of rock armour on top of these cables on the seabed which again means it's going to be less of an area for people to fish because these are no-go areas again anywhere there's a cable particularly if it's getting near the surface or with rock armor you can't anchor anywhere near it but this rock armor may cause more nursery areas to be formed more crustaceans inhabiting these areas so there may be benefits again from having that depends how these react to future scarring because they will cause scarring of their own due to the sea currents so they may still cause various problems which aren't determined as yet it's only recently been found out in the last year or two about the cables being exposed and having to use rock armour. 
and again this will have to all be dismantled once the life of the wind farm has come to an end so there's going to be more disruption to that as well although the rock will obviously be left there also what about electromagnetic fields or emfs causing disruption to fish around the cables i've had discussions with them about that because obviously being a physics teacher I know the effect of AC or DC passing through a wire causing magnetic fields and it will do especially if we would have had the 400 kilovolt cables buried with DC going through these would have produced very very big quantities of electromagnetic inducted fields. AC is a bit less extent. These wind turbines are only between 3 and 5 megawatts so the cables supplying the wind farm to the shore are probably only in the order of two or three hundred megawatts. This is mainly AC, so the magnetic field of that may not be substantial, but that's only for what we might think. But certain fish like plaice and taupe, skate, will feel the effect of the electromagnetic field. They don't like it and they will avoid that area, so it could have an impact. And this is an area that I will be watching very carefully over the coming years. Is there then any reason why anglers should feel concerned about any of this? I think there's a great deal of potential for concern regarding the nuclear power station and the effect of the warming of the water and the chemical treatment of the water. There are concerns with the numbers of cables that are appearing offshore, the extension to these wind farms which seem to be extending all the time. I know there's more and more planned for the future. And the main problem is the fact that they are limited lifetime, so they're going to have to be dismantled, they may be replaced, so there's going to be continual disruption. But fish species like birds, for example, and crustaceans seem to go from one area to another under natural conditions, and they'll have to just learn to adapt to do so under these new man-made changes to their environment. The other main uh, potential for disruption is if we have a barrage built across estuaries. I know there's done feasibility studies for the Solway estuary, for the Dudden estuary, for the Ribble estuary, Morecambe Bay even, and uh, River Severn estuary. Thinking of barrages or forms of water capture to allow the captured water to discharge through turbines to generate electricity. The big advantage obviously is that the electricity produced is totally predictable because they know what the tides are going to do, whether they're spring tides, neap tides. If we get wind generated surges, we can cope with that much better. We won't get as much flooding in some of these areas or coastal erosion. So there's positive effects in that respect. The downside obviously, the turbines have got a reputation of chopping fish to pieces, particularly of migratory fish like salmon, sea trout and eels. For example, on the outlet from Lake Windermere into the River Leven, there is a hydroelectricity system there which frequently chops up eels, dead eels are found downstream or in the, the traps that are near it and it may have an effect on any migratory fish coming out of Windermere which does hold salmon and maybe sea trout and certainly Coniston but the Coniston system, the River Crate, doesn't have an hydroelectric scheme at the moment although more and more schemes are being considered in inland water areas as a form of generating cheap electricity but it's not cheap because there's always a price to it and the price will be the death to migratory fish. A price that will, as ever, be paid by fishermen for whom stocks are struggling anyway without this particular level of additional burden. My thanks then to Brian Crawford for explaining both the science and the problems to us here.